0: Good morning, if you would, grab a Bible, turn with me to 3 John, 3 John. That is not John 3, that is 3 John. Get those numbers straight. 3 John, that's where we will be uh, for our study and our time of study this morning and this part of our worship. Good to see you this morning. We have a number of visitors with us. Thank you so much for choosing to be here with us. We have some who are new to the community. We want you to know that we're excited that you're here. We're glad that you moved to our area, we'd love to get to know you, we'd love for you to be a part of our family here, and so if there is any chance that this might happen, we'd love for you to stick around for a minute and talk to us and get to know us a little bit uh, so that we can help you if there's something we can do, or if you'd like to know more about the work that we do here, we'd love to talk to you about that. Most of all, we're thankful that you're here and that we can worship God together. Third John, I want to begin by reading verses 9, 10, and 11. Third John has one chapter, so you don't have to go to chapter 2 John alerts us to the fact that some people who appear to be serving God, even in positions of leadership in the church, can do wrong. And when such people do wrong, it has consequences. It hurts people. In verse 10, it describes Diotrephes. He says, not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. So people in this text who are doing the right thing, are the ones who are slandered and stopped from doing the right thing and forced to leave the church. Sometimes our brethren have evil motives. Sometimes our brethren hurt and disappoint us. Sometimes we are hit by friendly fire. We're on the same team, but we end up hurting each other. And that still happens today. It happens when we come seeking understanding and compassion from our brothers, and instead we find rejection and judgment. It comes when we come seeking justice and we find denial, or we come seeking peace and we find conflict, or we come seeking unity and we find division. We come seeking camaraderie and we find discouragement. We come seeking sincerity and we find hypocrisy, and it hurts. And sometimes, like evidently happened in the case of Gaius and Diotrephes, sometimes it means we have to, for one reason or another, leave the group where we suffer that. But sometimes it means we're staying in the group. In every case, we are scarred. We have suffered trauma. And what I want to talk about for a few minutes this morning is the encouragement John gives to people in that position. People who have been deeply wounded by their brothers and sisters in Christ. And what do we do when we're in that situation? The truth is, most of us will experience times where we have deep wounds that come from living in community with other brothers. Sometimes those are going to be from personal things. Sometimes those are going to be things that come from dealing with the leadership, like diatrophies. But one way or another, we have suffered what we're going to call this morning church trauma. And I want us to think about how this letter can help us recover. What's the path forward when we are hurt by our brothers and sisters in Christ? What does God want us to remember? So I just want to give you three reminders that come out of the text here in 3 John. As John writes to Gaius, who has had a front row seat to church trauma by dealing with this diatrophies. And see what John says we can remember ...to Recover from church trauma. The first thing I want us to see is that I can still do right. Now, we're going to talk more about Diotrephes and the exact nature of what he did in a minute, but 3 John is actually not written to or about Diotrephes. It's written to a man named Gaius. Let's start in verse 1 of 3 John. Verse 1 says, The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth, Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Now Gaius is the addressee of this letter. Gaius is an extremely common name, sort of like the name John today. Gaius was an extremely common name in the Roman world. And so we have several Gaiuses, in the New Testament, but it's not clear if it's any of those. Let's just say we don't know who Gaius is. But John prays, look at verse 2, he prays that it all may go well with you, that you may be in good health as goes well with your soul. I think it's interesting that he says, I pray that your body will be as healthy as your soul. I know you're doing well spiritually. I just pray that your body will do as well as you are doing in your spirit. I just think that's a fascinating idea. Brother Sonny and I have talked about that before because it it just makes me ask the question, what would we look like if all of us looked like physically how we're doing spiritually? You know, we can see pretty clearly when somebody's physically doing well or poorly, but it's a lot harder to see how we're doing spiritually. He just asks in this situation that God will bless him. How does he know that Gaius is doing so well spiritually? Look at verse 3. He says, "...I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth." So he says, "...I rejoice because people have been coming and telling me about you and the good that you're doing." Now, behind this text, what you need to know as we go forward this morning... ...is that there are people who are going out preaching the gospel in different places. They are traveling evangelists. And as they travel, they are reliant on the hospitality of Christians... If Christians don't take care of them, they don't have the money to supply their own needs. They don't have a place to stay. They're just going out preaching the gospel. And so what Gaius has done is take care of some of these men. And then they have come back to John and told them, Gaius took care of us. And now John is saying, I know you're doing well because you're doing good things for the Lord. Verse 5 now. Verse 5. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified of your love, to your love before the church. You will do them well, you will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth. So John zooms out and praises Gaius. He says, "You are doing a good thing. That's verse 5. It's a faithful thing you're doing." So keep it up. You are caring for people despite the fact that they're strangers. You don't know them from Adam. You just know they have come to preach the gospel. So you take care of them and that's good. In fact, he says you send them on their way in verse 6 in a manner worthy of God. That sending is a technical term in the New Testament that is often used to describe sending a missionary on by giving them the money and supplies they need. So, you send them on and make sure they have all that they need, and that is a faithful thing you're doing. Why is it a faithful thing? Verse 7 says, Verse 7 says, For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. In other words, they haven't taken any money from unbelievers, they're relying on their brothers to take care of them. And really, if Christians won't take care of Christian preachers, who will? He says that's the expectation because, of course, they're relying and trusting in God and you are the conduit through which God provides for them. So what you're doing is right. It is faithful. Keep doing it. Now, that's all very interesting in its own right. But I believe it's much more interesting when you read verse nine about what was going on in the church. In verse nine, it says, I have written something to the church. But Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So, if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. See, Diotrephes doesn't think the way Gaius does, he doesn't think the way John does. He doesn't think that he needs to take care of these traveling Christian missionaries. So, he has gained influence in the church. Now, the first question I have is, are Gaius and Diotrephes members of the same church? And that, text, that answer is not really found in the text. I tend to think there is at least a close association between Diotrephes and Gaius because of this. Because in verse 9, he says, I've written to the church. He doesn't say which one, which you might do if you have two people in two different churches. Instead, he says that the church, which I think Gaius and Diotrephes must have at least been closely associated in. The other question is, is Diotrephes an elder? And we don't know the answer to that either. He is at the very least an influential man in the church. But the idea is the same either way. Diotrephes is controlling the church. And that has led to the rejection of the apostolic authority and the refusal to accept traveling preachers. Diotrephes says no and Gaius says yes. And that really changes the tone of those first eight verses to me. Because now John is saying, you keep doing what you're doing, I don't care what Diotrephes says. I don't care if he's kicked you out of the church. I don't care if he's going around bossing everybody around saying, don't support these men. What you are doing is a faithful thing. He's not just doing a kindness. He is doing a kindness in rebellion against his brother in Christ. And John says that's a good thing. So, Whatever has happened between Diotrephes and Gaius, whatever has happened with this man controlling the church, John encourages Gaius, you can still do good things. Even when other people attack you, even when other people say it's not a good thing, when they hurt you and hurt other people who are doing those things, he says, you keep doing right. Verse 5, it is a faithful thing you do. You don't quit it. If it's faithful, if it's right, if it's true, it's healthy. Here is the thing about church trauma. When we go through things where our brethren hurt us, this is what happens. We tend to get completely demotivated. When we've been hurt, we don't feel like working anymore. We feel like nursing our wounds. We've been hurt. So it's very easy for us to focus on what's been done to us and the people who have done it and what they're doing and saying and thinking. John's going to talk a little bit about Diotrephes, but he talks a lot about Gaius because Gaius needs to focus on what Gaius can do. When we suffer that way, we, we have these kinds of thoughts. I thought we were on the same team. Why would somebody like that treat me that way? Why would we be at odds when we're all trying to serve Jesus? Surely Gaius thought that. Surely he had to think, why would it be bad for me to take care of people? And yet... John says, you've got to move on past diatrophies and keep doing right. I also think of Mary. You remember Mary, the sister of Martha, sister of Lazarus, who anoints Jesus with the ointment? And the disciples scolded her, led by Judas. Why did you waste this, Mary? We could have sold this and given it to the poor. You don't care about the poor. You're so selfish. I mean, after all, you're giving away this ointment. And I just think about Mary... If that were to happen to me, how would I feel the next time I had an opportunity to do something good and the apostles were anywhere close? I think I might go in my house and shut the door. It's demotivating when we face criticism and pain when we're trying to do right. When we're stung by our brethren, we begin to ask, why should I act? Why should I help? They don't care about me. They're not doing anything either. Perhaps we even get to the point where we begin to accuse them of their evil motives and declaring their agenda. But the the sum total of it is that pain and disappointment are extraordinarily demotivating. And John writes to say, I can still do right, I can still do good, I can still help people even when I've been hurt. In fact, it's notable that Paul thinks this way about his brethren. This is 2 Timothy 4, verse 14. Alexander the coppersmith, he said, did me great harm. Have you thought about how much is behind that sentence? Something happened there. We don't know any of the details of it. But all he says is just in a very veiled way somebody hurt me deeply. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. He also talks about, he is writing from Roman custody. He writes, At my first offense, when I went before Caesar, and my life was in Caesar's hands, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed, and all the Gentiles might hear. Paul has been hurt, and Paul has been disappointed. By the way, that's not the first time Paul's been hurt and disappointed by his brothers. But did you notice how he does it? how he handles it. He says, you know, there's some things that are still true. You know, judgment's still coming. The Lord's going to repay and like the way the Lord needs to be repaid. Or, or maybe some don't need this thing charged against them. But, but judgment's still coming. And the Lord's still there with me, even when people let me down. And there's a gospel that still needs to be preached. He's talking about the message being proclaimed and the Gentiles hearing. God's still at work. None of that's happened. All that's happened is I've been hurt. So nothing else has fundamentally changed. So what does that leave me with? It leaves me with the need to keep doing good. In these moments, I need to turn back to my blessings and my opportunities and my gifts. What can I do instead of what has been done to me? These are moments where we need to get to work. In fact, it seems to me, this is just from my experience, it may be that I need to quit thinking so much and start doing more. Because when I think, I stew And I just can't get over it and get past it. But when I do and my hands are busy, I'm a lot more focused on what I'm doing and serving others instead of just how I've been hurt. But I can still do good, even when my brethren have let me down. Second, evil is still evil. Let's look again at verse 9. We're in 3 John verse 9. The text says, I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So this congregation, as you can see, is dominated by the personality of Diotrephes. So John is frustrated because he wants to write to help the church, but Diotrephes won't let him hear from him, and he refuses to acknowledge my authority. It's hard to help somebody who thinks they shouldn't have to listen to you. So what can John do? I've written. I'm going to come, but there's very little I can do. My hands are tied. And this is not an innocent misunderstanding. Where, you know, we just kind of got crossways. I said the wrong thing. He took it bad, that kind of thing. No. He says specifically in verse 9, Diotrephes who likes to put himself first. Some versions have he likes to have or loves to have the preeminence. This is just like how the apostles used to argue about who would be the greatest in the kingdom. Who's going to be number one? Diotrephes says, I'm going to be number one. It's the next generation of the same problem. Diotrephes wants to be the greatest in the church. Diotrephes wants to make the decisions. Diotrephes wants to force everybody to think like he thinks. Diotrephes is going to bully people into doing his way. That's what Diotrephes does with his influence because he loves to have the preeminence. He wants to be first. He has no stomach for people who will not think the way he thinks and line up behind him. He will force them out of the church. John says that's a heart problem. This is a problem in what Diotrephes loves. It reminds us that those of us who are in positions of influence in a congregation have to be extremely careful not to enforce our thoughts and opinions on other people because there is a potential for abuse here and also a potential for our hearts to get away from us as we lust for power. In verse 10 then he says, So if I come... I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us and not content with that. He refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who who want to and puts them out of the church. So he says, I'll confront him if I come. I'll confront him about what he's doing and what he's saying and how he's treating people. but, But Diotrephes is out of control. He is so power hungry that he's willing to kick people out of the church, specifically over the issue of Traveling Christian preachers. This is one of the things that I mean by church trauma. One of the ways we suffer from our interactions with our brethren. Leaders who put people out of the church unfairly or unnecessarily. Leaders who allow authority to go to their heads or to go beyond their authority. And they leave a swath of destruction and pain behind them. I know because I talk to people who have been in the swath of that destruction. And John has some words to Gaius about that. Verse 11. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. John tells Gaius, don't imitate that. It is evil. It is evil even though it comes from a man that a lot of Christians respect. A man who claims to be a disciple of Jesus. It is still evil. Evil is still evil no matter who commits it even if it's a man like Diotrephes. And evil is still evil, even when I've been hurt. You might ask the question, well, why does that matter? When we've been hurt, we have a really hard time distinguishing between our hurt and something that is objectively wrong. There are things that are wrong because God says they're wrong, and then there are things that feel wrong because I'm hurt. And I don't know about you, but when I get hurt, that line gets pretty, pretty blurry. Because, you know, people really shouldn't hurt me. That, I don't like that. So it feels a lot like when things are evil. I want you to notice how John handles diatrophies. He has tangible, actual things he is doing. He says he does not acknowledge our authority. He is talking wicked nonsense against us. He puts people out of the church and refuses to accept the brethren. Those are real accusations of things that are bad. It is not, Diotrephes really hurt my feelings. He said some things that probably I wish he'd used different words. It's not about John. It's about evil. Evil is not just when I've been hurt. Evil is when someone has broken God's word. That's the problem with evil. You can hurt my feelings. Please hear me well. Don't do this. But you can hurt my feelings and still be right with God. Sin is of a different order, though. When people commit evil and commit their lives to evil, that will cause a breach in their relationship with God. And when we've suffered, it might be helpful to remember to say, this person is just doing evil. Can I give you an example of that? I remember this distinctly, and this is personal to me. I remember when I was nine years old, grappling with the fact that my dad had committed adultery. And I remember so much about that, very vivid memories for a nine-year-old. I remember when he stopped living in our house. I remember when he was no longer able to go to church with us. I remember going to court for a custody decision. I remember visiting his home every other weekend, every Thursday night for the rest of my childhood. I remember, I remember, I remember. But as I was going through that experience, I felt all kinds of emotions. And, of course, I was deeply hurt and upset. But the one thing that helped me most as I look back on that time is that everybody in that situation, including him, always admitted that what he was doing was evil. And that helped me. As a a little boy, nobody was sitting there saying, oh, no, this isn't that big a deal. This is not really a problem. You're just hurt because you're taking it personally. Instead, those boundaries helped me for someone to say, no, this is a wrong thing. And that that all the pain I felt was because someone was not just hurting me, but was doing something wrong. And I think we need that clarity when we're hurt to be able to say evil is evil. And one of the reasons things hurt so much is because sin hurts people. That's what it does. So instead of it just being about one person hurting another, it also becomes about one person breaching their relationship with God. This perspective on evil, I think, is how Paul makes sense of this. Philippians 1, verse 15, he says, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here. He's talking about him being in prison for the defense of the gospel. The former that is, these people from envy and rivalry, proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. So Paul can say evil motives are just evil motives, but there is objective good that's done. When Christ is preached, that's good. That's a positive. So I'm going to rejoice in that. He says I can differentiate And not just act out of my hurt. Some people are trying to hurt me, he says. They're trying to afflict me, but I can rejoice in what they're doing because I see objective good coming out of it. Being able to see beyond my personal hurt helps Paul to make sense out of a really difficult situation. So, it seems to me, if we can keep our perspective about good and evil, it can actually confirm our faith in God through trauma. That is to say, if I know that the reason I'm hurting is because someone has done evil to me, it helps me to be able to say, no wonder God said that's evil. It hurts. It's bad. And I know that. And those lessons are burned into my soul so that I can say at least God knew beforehand what he was saying in his word. And my faith grows stronger because I know evil is still evil. The third thing I want us to see from 3 John is that there are still good examples. Look in 3 John verse 11. 3 John verse 11, he says, Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. So here he's talking about influences. He talks about who you imitate. And he says, Gaius, you're going to imitate somebody. Don't let it be Diotrephes. Just because he got his way on this point, you don't need to be like him. Just because other people respect him, you don't need to be like him. Don't imitate evil. Diotrephes is extremely well respected. He got his way. He's probably charismatic and winsome. He is someone that probably a lot of people look up to. He says, don't imitate evil. When you see evil, go the other way. Verse 12. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. So here's another guy, Demetrius, and he just says, everybody talks good about him, John knows him, John compliments him. We don't know anything about Demetrius, but that's not the point. The point is, John wants Gaius to look somewhere else. You need to understand there are other people in the world besides Diotrephes, and you need to look for them and imitate them. Don't get locked into thinking about evil people. Remember that there are good influences too. And we just have this tendency, don't we? We fixate on the things that are bad. And when somebody is doing something bad to us, we just can't see or think about anything else. It just dominates our thinking. It colors our thinking. And so John is telling Gaius, you need to look somewhere else. Now, I am not saying that we don't ever need to have anything to do with people that have hurt us. We just got to run away. I'm saying that it is entirely possible that we need to divorce ourselves from evil influences, whatever that may mean. We cannot imitate evil. Let's look at Paul again. Paul says, 2 Timothy 1:15 and 16, "...you are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygellus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains." I want you to notice what he did there. 2 Timothy is like this, where Paul is saying, you know, a lot of people have let me down. and, And some have turned away from me. Probably this means that they forgot about him, they didn't come help him, they didn't come see him while he's in prison in Rome. But immediately after mentioning these two guys by name, Phygelus and Hermogenes, he immediately talks about one guy who did. And if you read that text, he just keeps going on and on about Onesiphorus and what Onesiphorus did for him. See, Paul Paul doesn't just remember the people who've hurt him. Because, you know, when we do that and we start counting all our scars and recounting them to everybody, if that's all 2 Timothy was, we wouldn't be interested in reading it. It would just be Paul's complaining list. Instead, what he does is he says, no, there are others. No, there are good things. There are positive things. Those are the things we need to focus on. It's a time to remember. Well, that's not what I wanted Don't read that yet. We'll get there in a moment. There's a time to remember that some people hurt and disappoint us, but that there are other people. There are more people than just the ones that hurt and disappoint us. There are hypocrites, but there are also sincere people. There are people who seek the preeminence, but there are also people who are willing to yield and submit. There are people who hurt others, but there are also people who help others. And we just have a choice to make about this. Who are we going to focus on? Who are we going to pattern our lives after? Who are we going to follow as examples? In all of this, what I think John is saying, what I am saying, is that the negativity that comes from our hurts sometimes can become all-consuming. And I think why John is writing Gaius is to give Gaius some direction away from the things that have happened in that church. Sometimes we can allow our hurts to define our service to God, to discourage us, to demoralize us, to bankrupt our faith. And John is saying there's another path. A path of learning from our pain and disappointment. A path of patiently growing and learning to forgive and let go. A path of maturity and growth, of leaning into Jesus. Like Paul says, but the Lord stood with me. When no one was there with me, the Lord was there. The path of seeking to reform my heart instead of focusing on the hearts of others. Do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Paul, for all his disappointments, he kept doing right. He kept calling evil evil. And he kept finding people who were worth following and linking himself to. It always came back to God for Paul. What more can I do for God? What does God say about this? Who is walking with God? And we can do the same thing, even when we've been hurt. I can still do right. Evil is still evil. There are still good examples. I want to say something about what we do as a church. As a church, whether we're talking about actions we have that are led by our shepherds, Or as a church, as we individually interact with one another and with people in the world. We need to do all we can. To be careful with our words and actions. Because we can hurt people. And I understand that sometimes we do that without realizing it. But there are also times when we do it and we know exactly what we're doing. And we need to see the the damage that that causes And we need to see as we make decisions in our lives, as as our elders make decisions for our congregation, that there is hurt that can come and we have to consider the impact of the decisions that we make. No one's exempt from that. But what these words remind us of is that there are going to be brothers and sisters in our midst who are hurt, who we're going to have to have patience and kindness with as they heal from that hurt. And it might be that we can encourage them to keep doing right and that some things are just wrong and that there are people that are worth following. But I want to say one last thing about church trauma and the lesson's yours. Paul says this. This is the passage I was hiding from you a moment ago. Paul says, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. Do not be overcome by evil, he says in verse 21, but overcome evil with good. Do not be overcome by evil. Every one of us has a choice to make. When someone else hurts us or wrongs us, we're going to do one of two things. We're either going to be overcome by evil or we're going to overcome evil with good. When Paul talks about being overcome with evil, he's talking specifically about revenge. That he is saying, we allow their evil and their hurt to so dominate us that we then feel we have to act out. We've got to lash out at them. We've got to get them back. And maybe we do that by by some physical thing. Maybe we do that by trying to tear them down or hurt them or slander them to others. Maybe we do it by the cold treatment where we're just bitter and angry and malicious toward them. Whatever it is, We allow what they've done to us to create evil in us. We are overcome by evil. That's one path. But he also talks about overcoming evil with good. Where we don't let evil win. Where someone else's wrong stops with them. And my response to them is going to be, as Paul writes... If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For by so doing, you can heap coals of fire on his head. Not in a vindictive way, but in a way that will end the tension. So when we suffer church trauma, it seems to me we have that same choice. We can either be overcome by the evil. And sometimes I see that, and it's so sad. I see my brothers and sisters who no longer want to serve Jesus because they've been hurt. And I understand and I empathize. But at the end of the day, you have been overcome by evil. Evil is still evil. And there is another path to overcome evil with good. To say, I'm not going to let evil win. And I'm going to continue to serve Jesus, even when I've been hurt. Would you pray with me about that? Our God and Father, we thank you so much for this gift of your word. And we're thankful for this time and the peace of this hour that we've had to open your word together and to think about these things. We're sad, Father, as we think about the damage that sometimes we cause one another, even as disciples, as offenses come, as trouble arises between your people, as sometimes we make decisions that hurt others. And Father, as we suffer at the hands of one another, we ask for your mercy. We ask for your peace. We ask that you'll bless our relationships so that these kinds of things don't happen and that we're thoughtful of one another. We ask that you'll help us to be thoughtful about how we speak to each other, that our words will be what is necessary for edification, to build one another up and not to tear down. We ask that you'll be with us when we've suffered hurt, that you'll help us to find a path to continue to serve you, that you'll help us as we try to work through the damage that's been caused as we learn to forgive one another and live with one another despite a past and a history. Father, as we sometimes disagree with one another or disagree with decisions that are made, we ask for your peace. And Father, we ask for the resilience that we need to move forward in our relationship with Jesus. We thank you so much, Father, that you've had such patience and mercy with us We thank you, Father, because we have so often sinned against you. And so often we have deserved far worse than what we've received from you. Father, I pray that you'll help us as we try to mature our faith to continue walking with you even when we've been hurt. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. There might be someone here this morning who is ready for the first time to become a disciple of Jesus, to give your life to him, to have him take your sins away and give you hope of a better life a better life now and a better life in the age to come. And if you're ready to make that step, to turn away from your sins, to follow him, to be buried with him in baptism, have your sins washed away, you can leave this building rejoicing as a disciple of Jesus, forgiven of your sins. Is there anyone here who needs to come? Please come to the front as we stand and sing to encourage you.